The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Everyone, welcome. If you are just arriving, it's great to have you here. Again, my name is May. It's fine to stand and stretch for a moment if you'd like. Um, And I'll be uh, sharing a little bit about the Dharma with you now. So go ahead and find a comfortable spot. I used to spend a lot of time backpacking. And during these trips, we'd go for many weeks out into the wilderness. And during this time, a lot of energy was put into navigation because, of course, no one wants to get lost in the woods. And I was thinking about this because I came across an article recently, and this article discussed the various human responses to getting lost in the wilderness. And there was a, there was a study done in Nova Scotia uh, tracking 800 cases of people who got seriously lost in the woods. Apparently, Nova Scotia is like the place people go and get lost. So, um, uh, so what they noticed in this study is that everyone who gets seriously lost shares one primary behavioral characteristic. They all have an unbearable desire to keep moving, to try to find their way back. They can't stop. Of the 800 people, 798 kept moving. That impulse is so strong. So the problem is, uh, it's a lot harder for search and rescue parties to find someone if they're always on the move, right? So here's what really stood out to me. In almost all cases, the people who are found are the ones who sit still. And this, this is exactly why the practice of meditation is so extraordinary. In the midst of our busy lives, where we might feel quite lost amongst suffering or confusion, despair, grief, etc., that there's this practice where we can sit down and be still, where we can be found. And one of the incredible impacts of meditation is that we can begin to get in touch with our own inner compass. And this compass can help us find our way, help, our, find our, help us find our way from dukkha, from suffering to freedom. And the, the inner compass that we attune to is our intention. So we start to become mindful of our intentions, connecting with wholesome intentions, so intentions that are generous or kind or compassionate, and these lead towards greater freedom. 
we start to notice unwholesome intentions, intentions that are based in greed or hatred or delusion, confusion. And we see the ways that these lead towards paths that are not so wholesome, where we are less happy if we're acting on those impulses. And so when we act with wholesome intentions, it's as though we've found a working compass that can guide us to our true home, that can guide us to a a happy life. So tonight, that's what I will be speaking about. I will be speaking about intention. And specifically, I'll be talking about intention from the Eightfold eightfold Path, Right Intention, or Sama Sankapa. Um, And that focuses on three things, which I'll get into shortly. But first, I just want to spend a little bit more time kind of defining intention or identifying intention so you're really clear about it in your own experience. Um, So put simply, intentions are our motivations, our reason for doing something or saying something. Uh, we can think of them as the about-to moment, you know, about to do something, or we can identify it in the urge or the impulse before we think, say, or act. Right. So it's that impulse to do, the about-to moment. And we have motives, we have intentions behind every thought, word, and deed. Um, so they're always functioning. All of this is fueled by intention. So if I speak from a place of kindness or generosity, this will create one habit pattern of mind. If I speak from uh, a place of craving or aversion, that will create another habit of mind. Uh, So this is how intention actually functions to bring forth happiness or despair, right? Um, It creates different patterns of mind. So put another way, uh, we can think of our life as a garden, And our intentions are the seeds that we plant. So if we want to be happy, we want to plant seeds uh, of non-grasping, of kindness, of non-harming, and these will grow a beautiful garden. And this will yield a mind that's much more resilient and flexible and joyful. Uh, If we're planting seeds of greed, hatred, and delusion, that will grow a very different garden. So you can consider, you know, am I planting seeds of fear or seeds of self-aggrandizement or of insecurity? So we can see what's happening. Um, Because if you want to grow a mango tree, you can't plant poison ivy seeds, right? Um, So if we're trying to be free, plant a mango seed. If you want a mango tree, plant a mango seed. And so what I'm, what I'm describing to you is also known as karma. You know, these are intentional actions. So we hear about karma a lot in Western culture, and most of what we hear is entirely confusing. But as it actually appears in Buddhism, uh, as it's related to this practice, it refers to intentional actions. Um, so good karma results in happiness. An action based on a wholesome motivation results in happiness. Very simple. So, so this is why the Dalai Lama says, my sincere motivation is my protection. My sincere motivation is my protection. 
we can't control our circumstances, but our wholesome intentions allow us safe passage through our life. So I have a medical device that occasionally beeps and I can meet that with an intention of kindness, right? So without interruption, we can meet whatever is happening in our life with attentiveness and in the same way that a mother takes care of her child can take care of our bodies, meeting that with friendliness, um, non-aversion, etc. So, my sincere motivation is my protection. So this might seem like a very odd question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Does stabbing another person lead to happiness or suffering? Well, it depends if the person with a knife is an assailant or a surgeon, right? Each might use a knife to cut someone, but one has the intention to heal, to help, and the other has the intention to harm the surgeon is going to have a very different life than the violent criminal. So I want to speak now a little bit more about Sama Sankapa, right intention from the Eightfold Path. Um, So some of you might be familiar with the Eightfold Path, this path to freedom, this path of freedom. And right intention is one of the path factors. So there's these three facets. Uh, of right intention, renunciation, kindness, or non-ill will, and compassion, or non-harming. So renunciation, also known as letting go, kindness, and compassion. So I'm going to start with renunciation. We'll kind of uh, move through these three parts of it. So renunciation. Um, We don't hear that word a lot. Um, And it doesn't sound very appealing, does it? Um, But I've found that it's one of the most uh, powerful aspects of this practice. So many of us are propelled in our lives by trying to get more of what we want and avoiding what we don't want. Um, But we, of course, cannot control our external circumstances, And even if we get what's pleasant and agreeable, of course, it eventually passes away because all is impermanent. And of course, we can't get rid of everything that's unpleasant because there always seems to be another problem. Um, So getting what we want and avoiding what we don't want is not a very effective strategy. Um, So instead, we can think about the second noble truth that the source of suffering is craving. And instead of obsessing about our external circumstances, we can pivot, turn the attention to look inward, and really address the craving at the source. Um, To look at the craving and aversion operating behind the scenes. Uh, So if it's craving that's the problem, 
that's what we should really get interested in. You know, that's what we want to find an antidote, an antidote to. And this is where renunciation comes in. Renunciation is like kryptonite for craving. Renunciation, letting go, undoes the craving impulse. So if we can learn to let go of our craving rather than being propelled by it, we have a lot more agency in our own contentment. There's a lot more freedom there. And we can practice this in a lot of ways. We can practice this kind of letting go impulse in a lot of ways, um, this kind of release. Uh, we can do it with others. You know. uh, do I always need to get the last word? Do I need to say the snarky thing? Do I need to make others how I want them to be? Mm. And can there be some release there? Can there be some renunciation or letting go? We can practice it with sense craving, uh, with entertainment, you know, letting go of the compulsion to binge watch Netflix or to have the second donut, um, just releasing. Uh, and as wisdom grows and our, our, our practice matures, uh, renunciation doesn't happen by repression or force, um, but like by by a true understanding of the insatiability of craving, by really getting how much craving is a ruse, we begin to, to release the impulse. So if craving had a favorite line, I'd probably say it's, this moment is not enough. This moment isn't enough. And there's nothing we can do to fix that. And when we really, really get that, desire can naturally fall away on its own. So Bhikkhu Bodhi says, real renunciation is not a matter of making ourselves give up, give up things still inwardly cherished, but of changing our perspective on them so they no longer bind us. We understand the nature of desire when we investigate it closely with keen attention desire falls away by itself without needing for struggle. So that sounds nice. And in the meantime, (laughs) when that's not happening for us and there's still craving in the mind, um, we just deliberately practice restraint. uh, When we notice that our intentions are based in greed, anger, or delusion, we just practice restraint. Okay. So that's renunciation. Let's talk about kindness, non-ill will. So loving kindness can manifest in all sorts of ways. It can be friendliness. It can be full-blown love. It can be um, just a little warmth of heart. There's so many ways that it can come forward. Um, And specifically, metta, loving kindness, it's a kindness without any strings attached. It's non-transactional. It doesn't require others to be how we want them to be. Um, yeah, it's without attachment. The way the sun shines equally on all beings. Uh, metta is non-preferential. So, um, yeah, metta can involve small acts. You know, something like, 
taking care of the earth, turning off the lights, using less water, or it can be great acts. You know, there can be great acts of kindness. Um, I was reading about one in the news that really caught my eye, uh, and it was about this woman named April Didana, who's an assistant store manager at a Wendy's in Washington. And April was, uh, she was reflecting on how, how common, it is, common it is that people hate for no reason. And so she was like, well, if people hate for no reason, why can't I love for no reason? And so she's thinking, like, why can't I just love my customers? So, so one day she decided to try something a little risky. Uh, after someone finished placing their order, rather than saying, like, thanks, have a nice day, she said, thanks, I love you. <laughs> a little dicey in a work environment, a little surprising to drop the L word in that setting. Um, but she ended up getting a customer feedback form from this person, and it actually had a really beneficial impact. So she thought, okay, well, I'm going to try it again. The second time, someone pulled up to the drive through uh, meal board, the order, the order board, placed their order. Again, April ended the exchange. I love you. And when this person pulled up to the drive through window, they were in tears. And the, the woman, uh, she said that her, her husband and her brother had just died and that she didn't have anyone in her life to say, I love you, to her anymore. So April continued sharing her love with customers. And when they say it back, she writes a tally mark on the wall. And over the course of three months, April had 2,549 tallies on the wall. And apparently, April says that a lot of people are now driving up to the window and saying, I love you before they even place their order. So this is, of course, a very, very overt act of kindness. But know that any action, uh, any deed based in love, generosity, uh, warm-heartedness, plants that, uh, that wholesome seed, you know, that wholesome intention that starts to pattern the mind towards a happier life. Okay. So next we have compassion, this third facet of Sama Sankapa. So this is, uh, so compassion is when the heart of metta, that heart of kindness, meets suffering. Compassion is the natural response. Um, so the Dalai Lama said, uh, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. One size fits all. Practice compassion. So I read another story recently. This was about a little girl named Michaela 
and she was kind of coming up on her 12th birthday. And so her grandma took her out to a special birthday tea. They had a lovely time. They had their tea, and uh, everything was going well until they got home, at which point um, her grandma realized that she hadn't zipped her coat pocket closed when she had put her wallet in it, and the wallet had fallen out. So for anybody who's ever lost a wallet, uh, you probably know that it is a rather distressing experience. Um, And particularly if one has any um, kind of financial stresses, it can be an extremely upsetting experience. So meanwhile, a homeless man who had been homeless for five years was rifling through the dumpster behind the tea shop. And he found a wallet. Uh, And I imagine that homeless man could have really put that wallet to use. Um, But I also imagine in that moment, he connected with um, some ethical thread within him, perhaps connecting with a compassionate impulse. And before he knew it, he was calling Michaela's grandmother to tell her that he found a wallet in the trash. So here he returned the wallet, you know, this beautiful, wholesome intention manifesting. And what I love about compassion and kindness is that it's, um, it has a ripple effect, um, like it, it moves through people. So when little Michaela found out that this happened, uh, and you know, her birthday's coming up, Uh, she asked people to not give her gifts, but instead uh, to raise money for the man who returned the wallet. So this is is how compassion can function in our lives, like one small act, one small intention leading to one small act, and it moves through us. So we practice compassion for ourselves, for others, and for the world. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. Okay, so that's a brief overview of Sama Sankapa, of right intention, the three parts of it, renunciation, kindness, and compassion. And now I'd like to... um, just offer you some ways of starting to practice with intention to try to to help illuminate it in your daily life because it can be kind of hard to catch them. It can be kind of subtle. Before we know it, we're saying something or we're doing something and we're not even really sure how we got there or why we're doing it. So um, the best way to start is just by paying attention to the intentions that are already present. You know, as I mentioned earlier, there's a reason behind everything we do. Um, even the really small things, there's these you know, micro-intentions called chetana um, uh, that you know, um, uh, they're activating when one goes to scratch an itch. You know, there might be a sensation and then it's unpleasant and there's a little aversion to the sensation, so we go to scratch. 
So there's a, a little intention present there. Um, there's an intention when we go uh, for a slice, the extra slice of pie. Um, intentions behind the clothes we choose and the time we go to bed and uh, the job we decided on and um, how we brush our teeth. You know, it's, they're happening all the time, right? Um, so the, the practice here is just to pay attention to why you're doing what you're doing. You're doing. Um, and this can be really illuminating. So just some areas you might um, kind of spotlight a bit, some areas to look at in your life. Um, check it out with food practice. You know, are you eating for entertainment or for nourishment? Um, try it with conversation or speech practice. Uh, are you speaking to care for someone else? Or maybe is there a little barb in what you're saying? Um, some tiny intention to make someone know that they're wrong or you know, something like that. Um, you know, it might come up like, are you complimenting a supervisor because you genuinely want to kn- want her to know that you care about her and appreciate her? Or is it coming from a, are you complimenting her so you might get a raise? You know, what's, ha- what's happening there? Um, are you apologizing sincerely to your partner because you genuinely want to make amends? Or is it a sort of um, what I like to think of as the geez, shut up already apology? Like, I'm sorry, okay? Those are two very different apologies. Um, so just checking out what's happening. When I was in college, I... Uh, I made a lot of pottery, and I really enjoyed it. And I remember at one point I had a vase that I was rather fond of, and I, um, I was wanting to gift it to a friend. And at face value, it was like, oh, you know, wholesome action. You know, here based in the intention of generosity, giving it to a friend. But when I kind of paused and checked out the intention... I realized that while there was that wholesome intention there, there was this, also this part of, of the intention that was like, well, I'm also giving this to her because I want her to know that I am a highly creative and excellent artist. You know, I want to make sure that this person knows that I'm good at this, right? So this practice is humbling, it is not fun to see some of these intentions that are present. So then we can bring kindness to ourselves when we see that there's part of the intention that may not be quite as sweet, right? And so what I'd suggest is um, just remembering that intentions are often mixed. Like there might be an intention that's like 80% I'm being generous and uh 20% seeking approval, how I was in that situation. And when that happens, you know, we um, really focus on the good. And then we just notice the other part without judgment. Like, oh, okay, approval seeking. Approval seeking's like this. That's okay. 
And what we often find with unwholesome intentions is that they're not moralistically bad. It's just that they're misguided. They're not trying to... um, Yeah, there's some part of us that thinks that's the way to happiness, right? Um, But yeah, they're just just misguided, you know, just trying to avoid pain, just trying to be comfortable, just trying to boost the ego a bit. Very well-meaning. But when we really start getting to know our intentions better, these kind of micro-intentions, chetana, it allows us to set resolves, aritana. Uh, It allows us to... uh, have larger movements in our life, reorienting our life to what we care about most. So uh, if you feel inspired to start noticing intention in your life, uh, one thing that's very supportive to this is sitting meditation. Because of course this allows us to slow down the system, see the thoughts that are occurring in the mind, and start to get to know the more subtle impulses that occur within us. And because we're seated and we're committed to sitting there for half an hour or however long we're there for, we're actually not acting out all the impulses that come up. The impulse to rearrange all the furniture is being seen but not acted on. So that's a really great way to get to know our intentions better. Um, and then the other thing that I think is really helpful is pausing before acting. You know, just stopping a moment to listen. You know, do I really need to press send on this email? You know, do I really need another cup of coffee? Just checking it out. Uh, and maybe you do. Maybe you're like, you know, that would be like the most gentle thing for this body right now. Or like that's what this system really could use. Um, but yeah, you don't always have to act on the impulse, as I'm sure you all know. You've, you've been in this situation before. And we can do this with really small things. Like sometimes I'll, I'll take a bite of food, and while chewing it, I'll realize that eating that thing wasn't really aligned with my intention, that like, you know, I might not feel so great if I have that one extra bite. And I'll just spit it out. I won't even swallow it. So it's never too late to change course. You can always change course with your intentions. And lastly, I want to say that while intentions are clearly very important, uh, we also need to observe the impacts of our actions. You know, um, we're not operating in a vacuum. And sometimes we do something that's very well intended, that has a really unfortunate, unintended result. And um, Buddhism is not just about intention. We're, We're instructed to pay attention to our actions before we do them, when we do them, and after we do them. So if our um, well-intended action has a negative repercussion, we're still responsible for that. And, and we are uh, expected uh, and instructed to take responsibility for that and to shift our behavior accordingly, to allow that to inform our intentions in the future, um, such that we're not causing harm for ourselves or others. So 
if you have been feeling lost in some way in your life, in your practice, I hope that you're able to notice that which motivates you. I hope that you're able uh, to practice letting go, practice renunciation, that you're able to act with kindness and compassion uh, so that you can get in touch with your, your inner compass uh, and navigate to a truly happy life. Thank you so much. Let's sit for a moment. Thank you so much. How wonderful. Appreciate your attention. So we'll now have some time for questions or comments, reflections, anything that may be arising for you. And if you'd say... If you'd like to say your name, you're welcome to. Hi, I'm John. Hi, John. Um, I have two questions. Maybe we can just cover one. Um, One is about renunciation. I've found uh, an aspiration for renunciation, which is sometimes fueled by sort of judgment or criticism Uh, you know, an acknowledgement of like a deep longing or a desire and then this hope or this aspiration to like let that go, thinking Mm. this is sort of a noble thing to be pursuing. But sometimes I lose, I I don't, I've, I've in the past not had clarity about the fact that the motive for this letting go was actually this like resistance to the desire or the longing that was arising. And so... So then I've, with that realization, I've thought, okay, I need to sort of like welcome the desire and like allow it to be present. But I also would like to sort of like let it go and let it dissolve. But I don't want to be like pushing it out. Like you said, it's not something we can force away. So I guess what I'm getting at is how do we sort of balance this like desire or, or how do we balance pursuing renunciation while also not resisting that which we're trying to renunciate. Yeah, what a great question. And I'm, I'm really appreciating how uh, carefully you're seeing your own experience, like being able to identify uh, a desire and then really seeing how you're relating to it and mm-hmm. seeing you know, the, the wish for renunciation 
and noticing how that can can some sometimes make us aversive mm-hmm. to the desire, right. which then, as you're you're recognizing, then we're we're operating under the same force again. We're just mm-hmm. we're then rejecting something. So how can we keep ourselves from getting in a tug of war with right. desire? And I and I actually I heard part of that in in your question, an answer within your question, which was uh, being with the desire. Mm-hmm. You know, to to uh, fully recognize it, feel it in the body, get to know it, get to know the stories it tells us with mindfulness. Um, notice the emotional valence um, and explore it from that that angle. And as uh, as we do that, um, there's something else happening that's still not acting on the desire. Right? We haven't. Um, uh, if we're like straining to let let it go, that's just aversion. Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't let go from like a natural uh, a natural invitation, um, then we can just let it be, and that's that's renouncing renunciation. Right. Right. Yeah. Sort of the back door to renunciation. Yeah. Exactly. So it's you beautiful. can just just let it be. Mm-hmm. And something else I want to mention about this is. Um, uh, earlier on in my practice, I had like a, a lot of zeal for renunciation, and I think there were certain ways that I was uh, uh, trying to eliminate um, aspects of who I am. You know, like trying to like kind of crush out hobbies or crush out things that brought joy in my life. Um, and I think there's there's a balance of um, you know we're not um, we're not trying to eliminate our personality. Mm-hmm. We're still a unique being in the world, and there mm-hmm. might be something in the world that makes your heart sing mm-hmm. that is uh, that allows you to to be uh, generous with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, that isn't based in sense craving. Um, right. But rather something more, more deeper and more nourishing. So there can be room for that in one's life to um, engage in certain worldly things that that feed us. Makes sense. Thank you. Yeah, yeah sure. Mm-hmm. Any other questions or comments? How about your second question? I was going to say if no yeah. one had a second question or a question. My second question, uh, I need to remember it, is about um, intention. And uh, I guess, so you described, you described the, the pottery um, scenario of like making this, making this vase and wanting to give it to a friend and is perhaps mainly a gener there was a mainly a generous intention behind it, but there was also this other intention about being identified as a creative artist. And that really resonates with me. There's a specific act I do in my life which broadly has this very positive intention of sort of bringing light or positivity to people. But there's a hundred percent this underlying intention to sort of like get the attention of a specific person or to sort of like you know, it's sort of egoic based. It's it's sort of like getting myself identified in this specific way. Um, 
And I'm curious about, I guess, the karmic implications of that, or mm-hmm. he, he, wh- how, what, how to how to think about that. I'm very aware of the intention that, and and it's it's this tricky place because it's not like this act that I'm doing is is somehow like bringing harm to people. It's it's a good thing. You know, like giving the va- the vase away. That's not a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like if you gave out a thousand vases, I don't think karma would be like no. Uh, so uh-huh. yeah. Anyway, yeah, we get the idea. Yeah. Um, quite naturally, in many of the things that we do, um, regardless of how wholesome it is, you know, if it's like feeding orphans or like saving kittens from trees or you know helping grandmas cross the street like mm-hmm. our ego will try to hijack it yeah <laughs> it's just what the ego does and you know it's like she's really just doing her best but she just is confused sometimes um and so uh you asked about the karmic implications mm-hmm. um uh the function, like the way karma functions, like in terms of like being able to map cause and effect is unknowable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's not an A plus B equals C. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I can't say exactly what the karmic implications sure. are, but I think what might be useful is instead um, to notice that, just be aware of it, be gentle with it, and Uh, bring a little compassion to the part of yourself if that's available to you just some gentleness to like the the being that wants to be seen wants to be recognized and known because often that being has some sort of hunger to um to be known in the world for approval or um or love Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it makes sense Mm -hmm. there's a there's a part of me which says, well, but then what about all the people who are supposed to receive vases? Like, yeah. you know, if I cut off my gift, my giving of vases, and I'm just using your example. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think compassion towards the part of oneself that wants to be seen can sort of help feed that. And then that there should still be space for vase giving outside of that yes yes let me be clear keep giving the vases yeah (laughs) keep giving the vases and as you're doing that you know if it's like 80 percent want to do this great thing for people which it sounds like this activity for you actually like it it has this really beautiful wholesome intention to it and then you just, you know, that other 20% or 10% or 50% or whatever it is. Or 40 yeah. sometimes. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, uh-huh. whatever. Uh, so whatever that other part is, um, uh, as you give, as you engage in the act, when that impulse comes up or when that, that inner being calls out for attention, you can just meet it compassionately. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, I see you there. Makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, great questions. Mm-hmm. So about uh, renunciation, mm-hmm. um, recently, um, I, so I have three wonderful adult 
children, and um, uh, so two of them get to get, get along, and the, a third one doesn't get along with with uh, the other with one of the others. And so um, recently, they kind of some of them two two of them said, "Look, look, can you can you get this all to work out?" You know, and and that was very seductive for, for to me. It's like, oh yeah, I'd love to have the power to have them all appreciate each other and get along and communicate. Um, but then I realized, you know, I have to let that go because mm. they're adults and they have their own life lives, and uh, it's not it's not for me to do. And so, just for me to appreciate and love each one of them and realize that many times people don't like their siblings, mm. then that, that's okay. It's maybe not what my preference would be, but to let go. Oh, that's, that. well, that's such a great example of renunciation and the way that letting go can function. And like, of course you want your kids to get along. Like that would be, you know, because you probably see... Uh, the exquisiteness of each of them and you wish that they could see that in each other and it sounds like you saw within that how if you really latched on you'd suffer over it Um, and to to be able to hold that really lightly was such a, a wise act of letting go that's really beautiful thanks Martha yeah We have a couple minutes left if anybody has anything else. Any other reflections on the practice or questions? Okay, I think we're complete then. Well, thank you everyone. I so appreciate you coming tonight, giving this time for your practice. And I hope that the, um, yeah, the benefits of your practice go on to help you feel more free in your life and benefit those around you. Thanks so much. <laughs>